Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay. And we are streaming at the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio in Moses Lake, Washington. So, and today we've got two very special guests on. Um, if you watched uh, Thursday's show, our midweek podcast last week, we had Joseph Hunter on who told his story about recovery and he wants to get his story out so he can save other lives. Just like the, the guys we're having on today, Victor Estrada and Noki, Noki Pando, and they are going to tell their story. They've got two similar but very different stories and they are both in recovery now to help others and we want to get the word out so we can help save other people's lives and um, I tell you, I've heard both their stories already, and I think if some of you are like me, I think sometimes we just don't understand these things are going on. I mean, I go to work, I go home, I kind of maybe just keep my blinders on. I just, it, it's, um, you know, I don't see a lot of this stuff necessarily. So these stories are very, very powerful, and that's why we want to get them out there because, you know, we want to help solve um as much as much of this problem as we can, and even if we can just save one life, it's uh, by doing this podcast, it's it's definitely worth it. So, so welcome to our show, Victor and Noki. We really appreciate you being on to tell your story. Thank you. So, Victor, we're going to start with you, um, and then we'll get to Noki later. And um, Victor, why don't you just you know why don't you just tell us um, a little bit of your story and 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 how you got into, um, you know, le led down the wrong path into drugs and, and alcohol and things like that. Tell us just how that all started. Okay. So uh, my name is Victor and I'm in long-term recovery. What that means to me is that I got a little over five and a half years clean. Um, so my, I would, I would say my, my addiction started at a very young age, you know, around, I remember being in kindergarten and first grade and my parents would go four wheeling every weekend. And they would take us with them and they would hand me their drinks to hold them. And I would, you know, take sips of them and then just keep taking sips until the can was empty and then open up a new one and hand it to my dad, you know? Um, and then there was just always alcohol and, and, you know, weed around my house. You know, my mom used to grow and about nine years old, I got, I got, just got curious and I was like, what does my mom always smoking this stuff for? So that led to me, you know, sneaking into her purse late at night and stealing her roaches and, and, and like running out in the backyard and lighting one up and, you know, um, taking a puff or two, start coughing and then run back in the house and put it back in her coin purse and then go to my room, you know, and then that just led to me being curious all the time about what everybody was doing, um, you know, around, 12, 13, and, you know, my alcohol use got pretty, pretty heavy. You know, I, I would go to this, go to the liquor store and tell them I was there to pick up, you know, some cigarettes for my dad and, and some beer. And they would sell it to me thinking that I was really taking it home to my dad, you know, and that's just how it was where I grew up in California. I grew up in, you know, in outside of LA, you know, um, and that just progressed, you know, I, I would go to parties when I was like 14, 15. And, and, and it was just my way of fitting in was, was, was drinking, you know, um, at 15 years old, I knew it was a problem. I started, I started running with gangs and, and, uh, I was, every time I would get arrested, I would be under the influence of something, you know, around 15, I started smoking PCP, which is, it is to me, when I look back at it, it was probably like the hardest drug that I ever did, you know, um, just because the way it made me feel the way it made me react, um, you know, you could, you didn't know what you were doing until the next day when somebody told you, you know, and then from there it just kept progressing. You know, at 15, I, I asked my parents for help. I told them I was an alcoholic and, and I went to treatment, you know, and at the time, you know, I, I don't think I was ready because, you know, I would go to, I would go to AA meetings and I would sit in the, sit in the meeting and, and the meeting would start. And I'm like, I don't want to hear all these old people talk. So I would go in the bathroom. I'd always take two talk hands with me and I'd slam them in the bathroom you know, and then I would walk back into the meeting and start talking to the guy next to me. And they would they would tell the guy who was signing the slips, like, get him out of here. He's drinking, you know, so they would kick me out of the meeting, sign my slip, and, and I would just go about my day, you know. So when I went to court, the judge would see my slip was signed and I was cool. You know, I, everything was all right. You know, so I went to treatment the first time at 15. 
you know, and and they gave me an abuse when I left treatment, you know, and, and I didn't drink for about, I don't know, about a month, you know, um, and then one day I was at, at a party and I started drinking even on an abuse and I, and I was expecting to get sick. I didn't get sick, you know, and then, and then at that time, you know, my disease was progressing, you know, um, I went from, you know, smoking weed and PCP and drinking every day to, you know, at 17, when my parents moved to the Vegas, um, I, I found this new drug, you know, it was meth and I, and I really liked it. I can, I can stay up for days and I can go to work and I can, you know, I was, I looked old enough to sneak into the casinos and they thought I was 21. So I would be in the casinos all the time, you know? Um, and the whole time growing up, I knew how to, how to make money off of drugs. So that was another addiction in itself was like, okay, I can make fast, easy money, you know? <laughs> And when I started working at 17, I was making like $3 an hour, three fifteen an hour, you know, and, and on a weekend, if I was selling drugs, I could make a few hundred dollars. So it just, I got addicted to the lifestyle, you know, um, being involved in gangs and, and, and making money and, and, and drug use was just like daily life for me. You know, at, at 21, my daughter was born, you know, um, and when my daughter was born, I, I was I was using the excuse that I was selling drugs to raise my daughter, you know, that I, I didn't want to work so I could I could buy her pampers if I sold drugs and I can I can, you know, not have to work and I can watch my kid. Well, my daughter's mom went to jail and I was left by myself with my daughter, you know, at five weeks old. She was taken from me by CPS. Somebody reported me to CPS, you know, um, they took my daughter um, they told they told me my fam they told my family that they were looking for me, and I just went on the run. And then when I finally got caught on some some uh, stolen car charges, you know, I went to county jail and I got on the phone with CPS. And they told me that I would never see my daughter again. And the first thought in my head was like, if I can't see my daughter or have my daughter in my life, what's the point in living? So when I got out of county jail, um, I went on this what I call the suicide mission. And I, I went from 185 pounds down to 117 pounds in like 28 days. And on my 28th day, I went home and I told my family I needed help. Um, I went to treatment, you know, it, well, I went to the, to the emergency room first and I thought everybody was trying to arrest me, you know, put me in jail. Um, when they asked me for a UA, I got scared and I, I, I took the IV out of my arm. Um, my mom worked at the hospital, so I just walked out to the emergency room and told my mom, I need to go. I need to go. You know, I, I was very delusional, very paranoid. Um, when I got to my mom's house, I thought my mom was trying to kill me when all she was trying to do was like feed me and get me to go to sleep. Um, a couple of days later, I got into detox. And when I went to this detox, you know, I, I felt a little bit of, of comfort. You know, they fed me. They, they talked to me about what was going on. They suggested that I go to treatment. You know, I went to treatment. Again, this was probably like my third time in treatment and I was 21 years old. Um, I knew I had a problem. You know, I was working on getting my daughter back, you know, and everything was going good. And then I got scared. I got scared to be a parent. I got scared to like learn how to live a normal life. And I, and I relapsed. And uh, when I relapsed, I went pretty hard until I got arrested and went to prison. You know, I, so I went to prison for a year and a half and I got out, you know, and, and all hopes of getting my daughter back were gone because I had gave up my parental rights. Um, and that just led into to a, a deeper and darker addiction. You know, I just kept using and kept using it. You know, I would go to jail, get out, you know, so I'm going to fast forward to like 2003. I came up to Washington to visit my mom because she had moved. And, uh, I came to Washington and I, I fell in love with the state, you know, the beauty the nature and all how, how calm and quiet it was, you know, it was a different pace from living in Vegas. And 2004, I finally moved up here thinking, okay, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to quit using drugs. You know, by this time I was 30 years old and, uh, you know, it, it happened all over again. You know, I, I, I started working, you know, I got my first paycheck and I was like, okay, I can sell drugs successfully and not get caught up. Well, within like a month and a half, I had new charges I was on my way to prison. Um, I did uh, another 18 months. You know, I got out and immediately went right back into the same thing. I started doing a bunch of forgeries and identity thefts to uh, support my habit. 
um, ended up going back to prison again for three years, you know, and I got out, I said, I'm going to change that didn't happen. So 2010, I went back again for four years on what well, was a five year sentence. I did four years and I was made all these promises to my family. I'm going to change, you know, things are going to get better. And they didn't, um, I went out and used until March of about the end of February, 2015 is when I was like, I'm done. You know, and I, I, I was in this really bad breakup in this relationship and, and I tried to end my own life. Um, I'm grateful that it was unsuccessful. You know, um, I had this cord wrapped around my neck. The door popped open thinking it was my my ex-girlfriend walking in the room. It wasn't. It was her dad coming to check and see if she was there. And I saw so I ripped this cord off my neck, you know, and then I left that house. You know, and my family took me back in and, and you know, I was. I was just done. You know, I didn't know what to do. I had been in the program before. So I, I, I got really vocal on social media about the pain that I was going through. And one of my friends reached out to me that was in a 12 step program. And she said, Hey man, you should really try going to a meeting. And, uh, I did, you know, and then I went to this meeting and I, I, I told people who I was and why I was there and I cried. And, you know, um, a couple of days later, I got into a fight and grateful and grateful that it was only a fight, you know, um, and cause it could have turned out worse. The, the plan was to go and, you know, shoot somebody and, and, and whatever happened, happened, you know? So I went home and I drank, had a couple beers and then I called my friend and told her what happened. And she's like, dude, tomorrow, go back to a meeting start all over. And so I've held on to that, that clean date of, of March 26, 2015. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about, you know, what I do for my recovery. You know, I, I work a 12 step program, you know, it, it, it's an anonymous program, you know, but what I do for my recovery outside of that 12 step program is, is I try to give people hope. You know, I, I, I share my story a lot, not only in the 12 step atmosphere i share my story publicly you know i i've 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 spoken at different events you know whether it's a recovery event i've spoken at the state capitol you know i have friends today who are are in in politics you know i i work real closely with the drug court in my area you know um, i also sponsor a lot of people you know life is just different you know when i came in I had no clue what life was about. I didn't know how to live life. I didn't know if I wanted to live, but I, I kind of did. You know, um, I was desperate. I was scared. You know, um, today my life is, is, is amazing. You know, I said I got a little over five and a half years in recovery. And, and today my life looks, looks different. My outlook on life is different. You know, um, the relationship with my daughter has changed. You know, she's, 25 years old now and we kind of talk you know she didn't get to never know who her dad was you know but working the steps in the program that I work you know I was able to make amends to her as as a father like I got to tell her sorry that I wasn't there and this is what I'm doing to change my life you know so for me you know life is, is like I said is, is just totally different you know um, I don't know I I do a lot in the community you know as far as not only recovery, I, I, I do homeless outreach. So I work with people who are homeless, you know, um, and I try to give them hope as well, because a lot of people that are homeless struggle with addiction. You know, I was once homeless, you know, I, I'm, I'm an ex felon who, who thought I would never be anybody in life. And today I have, I have purpose. So tell me about when, when you were like contemplating suicide and you were just kind of done, um, you're, you were doing meth at the time and cocaine or just meth or. Uh, so at, in 1995, I was, when I, when I went on that suicide mission, after I gave up my, you know, I thought I wasn't going to see my daughter again. I was doing meth, cocaine, uh, uh, PCP drinking. And then in 2015, when I tried to kill myself, um, I was just doing meth. Actually, I was coming off of meth. And you were down to tell us about your weight. You were you had lost a whole bunch of weight, correct? Yeah, I lost. I I don't know what it was like. Close to seventy pounds, I think it was. You were down to one seventeen, right? Is that what you were telling? Yeah, me? yeah. Wow, definitely not a healthy weight then. 
No, no, I didn't look healthy at all. I, I literally looked like a skeleton with skin on it. Wow. Wow. So tell us, you know, you did a couple stints in prison. Tell us, did, did prison help your addiction at all? Were you able to do drugs in prison? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's drugs in prison. There's drugs in county jails. Um, it was more like for me, prison didn't change nothing. You know, it's just because like they, just because they call them, you know, correction centers doesn't mean they're correcting anything. And it also depends on the lifestyle that you live while you're in there. You know, me, I was involved with gangs. So the whole time I was in prison, I was caught up in the, in the gang lifestyle, you know, and I wasn't really trying to change. Every time I went to prison, I, when I would get out, I would tell people like, hey, I'll be back. And they would tell me, like, why would you want to come back here? I'm like, because this is home for me. Wow. You know, it, to me, that was the norm. Wow. So, Janet, what kind of questions do you have for Victor? There's a lot going on. Thank you for sharing wow. your story, Victor. Yeah. And congratulations on your recovery of five and a half years. Thank you. I guess, you know, one thing that um, hits home to me is it seems like the 12-step program worked for you. And why was that any different than some of the other programs that you were involved in? Was it partly because of the program itself or was it just you were ready to make that change? I mean, I, I honestly think the 12 step programs for me is about, it gives me something that I never really thought I had in my life. You know, it gave me unity. It, it, it taught me how to look at my past and see what the problems were. You know, when I, when I was out there getting loaded, you know, I thought that I loved the lifestyle. I thought I loved going to prison. I thought I loved the money. I thought I loved getting high. I thought I loved the drugs, you know, but in reality, what I was doing was I was numbing the pain. You know, of giving my daughter up for adoption and not being a dad, you know, you know, holding resentments towards my parents and and people that had hurt me, you know. But when I started working these steps, it opened up like, OK, well, you, this is the real reason why you, you were getting loaded because you didn't want to deal with none of this, you know. And I, I never knew how to live like life on life's terms. I always thought that everything was everybody else's fault. You know, when I I would go to prison and somebody somebody like did a controlled buy on me. I used to blame them, you know, and not look at my own actions. So tell us how your, your dad's health was failing. Um, when you actually, when you were clean, is that correct? And tell us how that kind of yeah. changed your perspective. So, you know, the whole, like my whole life growing up and, and being incarcerated and my dad was like always there, no matter what, like if, he had to work and it was a visiting day. He would call off and he would come visit me. He would always like love me to the best of his ability. So the last time I was in prison, my dad's health was really bad. And he was down in Mexico with his wife. And uh, there was a time when I like I would call him every week and we would talk. And one time I tried calling him and I couldn't get a hold of him. And my sister called the jail and was like, dad's not, we don't know what's going on with dad. And uh, like, it just like, I would always like freak out. It would like cause me so much stress and I would like, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. And, uh, when I got out of prison, my dad was okay. You know, it was like right before I got out, he came back from Mexico. He was sick down there and they, they, we actually had some people like lie to us and tell us that my dad was dead so they can get money. They were like, Oh, if you send us $5,000, you know, we can, we can have his body returned to you. And really they were just lying, trying to get money out of my family. But when I got home, me and my brother-in-law had a conversation one night and he says, Victor, he's like, how would you feel if you were in prison and your dad died? And he's like, I would hope you would feel like a piece of crap. You know, there was harsher words used and it was just like a slap in the face, you know, and it was like, okay, I, I, I don't want to be there in prison when my dad dies, you know? Um, and I was fortunate enough, you know, like my biggest fear has always been, okay, if I, if I lose my dad, I'm going to get loaded, you know? Um, but I got to watch other people walk through death and how they experienced it and how they handled it over the years that when my dad passed away and I had a, like, I think I had like three years and a couple weeks, you know, I was able to like reach out and tell people what happened. You know, my fiance was there, you know, like she was there to like, comfort me like I had people there to tell me like you don't have to go get high what you need to do is get to a meeting to share about your pain you know um, I literally got to walk in 
my mom called me on April 8th, 2018. And she said, Victor, she's like, you might want to get to the hospital. Your dad's not doing too good. And I was able to like get in the room, grab my dad's hand and tell him that I love him. And he'd like took his last breath, you know? Oh. And yeah, it, it, it was hard. It, it was really hard. But you know, one thing that my dad, like, so my dad started to like, not really be able to grasp what I was doing. Like over like the, my first three years of recovery, he like, when I would go over, he would always be like, Hey, Mijo, how you doing? You want a beer? And I'm like, God, I don't drink no more. And he's like, well, why not? I'm like, dad, cause if I drink, I'm going to go back to prison. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and that's the reality of my disease. That if I, if I, if I could think I could just drink one beer, I know me, I drink one beer. I, I want to go get a bunch of drugs. And if I get a bunch of drugs, I'm going to go back to prison. You know, um, so, like, my dad never really understood, like, my recovery, but he knew that I wasn't locked up. You know, he knew I would be able to be there for his birthdays and holidays. Wow. Yeah. So, you talk about, when we were in our um, connection call, you talked about, you know, alcohol's an epidemic, crack's an epidemic, heroin's an epidemic, an epidemic. Why not make recovery an epidemic? Can you, what does that mean to you? Okay. So, yeah. Um, so I, like I said, I do a lot of stuff outside the rooms of recovery. Right. So I got involved with this, with this organization called Washington recovery Alliance. And one day we were having a board retreat and we were up, up in the peninsula somewhere at this really nice place. And, uh, we were sitting down and our, our chair was like, you know, there's all these epidemics that are killing people. And she's like, why don't we make recovery the epidemic? You know, so I was like, let me hashtag that. Let me blow it up. Let me make it big on social media. And, and that's what, that's what I did. You know, um, then I started, I made myself a t-shirt and that t-shirt blew up into like people wanting t-shirts. So I used that platform. But for me, what, what rec make recover the epidemic means is, is let's make something that can destroy something. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. like right now there's a pandemic going on that's, that's killing people. Well, let's make a, a positive, an epidemic that can destroy the disease of addiction. So where, where can people get a hold of those shirts if they want some shirts? Uh, um, they can, they can message me on, on Facebook. Um, I also have a Facebook page called make recover the epidemic. It's there's two pages. There's a girl that's like, use the name and then there's my personal page that has you know it, it's it's make recovery the epidemic it's like make underscore recovery underscore the underscore epidemic 2018 okay perfect well um we will put that in the show notes too uh when we edit this so we can uh um link people can get to that link really easy so well thank you for sharing your story i really really appreciate it we're gonna um let uh, there we are streaming that right now. There's your Facebook page, uh, Victor. We're going to let Noki um, share his story now. And let's just go ahead and talk first about um, your homeless outreach, um, Victor, and yes. and where you work now. And we'll, we'll, we'll um, put a plug in for them too. Yeah, I've worked for the Women's Resource Center. I'm, I'm the homeless outreach coordinator. It's a uh, North Central Women's Resource Center in Wenatchee. And um, you are also part of the Washington Recovery Coalition, correct? Uh, Central Washington Recovery Coalition. I'm the chair of that. Uh, I'm currently a board member for the Washington Recovery Alliance as well. Awesome. Awesome. We're always streaming that right now to put a plug in for them. That's awesome. So thank you for sharing that story and hang tight. because We want to, we want to have a little round table discussion with you and Noki. So Noki, welcome. Welcome back to our show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate you being on. So why don't you just go ahead and like Victor did and tell us, tell us your story. Uh, well, my name is Noki Pondo. Um, I'm from Moses Lake. I was born and raised um, my story is similar to a lot, um, but I've kind of realized that, you know, everybody faces, you know, setbacks in their life. And, um, the biggest setback in my life that I had to face and deal with, um, is, is, uh, addiction. Um, mine started off at a young age, um, at the age of like 13, um, 
prior to that, I was introduced to alcohol here and there with, you know, uncles and, and grandpa asking to go grab a beer from the fridge. And, you know, like I think Victor was saying, saying something along them lines of just taking a sip here and there, you know, that kind of, I think that like set that, um, set that stage for, um, the years to come. Um, so growing up, I, I never had a father figure around. I never had a dad around. So, um, when my brother got out of prison after doing, you know, like 10 years in prison, um, he was the first and only father figure that I had around and I cling to everything that he did. Um, unfortunately he was at a point in his life where addiction was, um, carrying him around as well. So I followed in his footsteps. Um, and I made the best of what uh, situations, you know, became of that, you know, um, in and out of jail, uh, using drugs, um, selling drugs. Um, this, this, just a criminal lifestyle, whatever it is I needed to do to get more drugs and to be a part of that lifestyle. Um, I did it, you know, um, I dropped out of high school early. Uh, I think like my junior year, I was out of high school. I'd already been disconnected from life in general. Um, was never able to have any steady employment because, uh, my addiction overran that every choice that I made. Um, you know, and ultimately, um, it landed me, uh, in a sense of homeless. You know, I was always, I never had a place to call my own. Um, I was usually couch surfing, uh, staying in motels, um, staying out in the elements when I, when my addiction took me to that place, you know, um, um, the only time I really had a solid roof over my head is when I was doing, um, violation times for probation violations when I was in jail or when I was in prison. Um, you know, more, more recently fast forward into, you know, um, I want some of the bottoms in my recovery because I, um, I can, in my, my addiction, my active addiction, I can always go deeper. Um, that shovel was at the bottom of that pit waiting for me just to dig more. Um, but one of the lower times was fast forward, um, about five years ago, going on six years ago. Um, I remember being in my active addiction, running the streets, um, doing what is, you know, what I only knew best to do. And, um, I remember I was really sick. I had an injury on my ankle. Um, I remember out of desperation, um, I had all the, you know, I had all the substances to uh, self-medicate. Um, but I remember going into the hospital in Wenatchee and, uh, in my mind, I wanted to go in there and get a brace. I needed a brace for my ankle because I had left the hospital a couple months before, uh, with a fractured ankle and was supposed to see a specialist and never did. So in desperation, I went to that hospital trying to get a brace and, um, um, they ended up telling me that, um, that I have a severe ammonia and that I have a blood infection. These are just, these were just, I felt fine. So I thought I felt fine. Uh, apparently the drugs had me in a, um, a not really a conscious state of mind. Um, when I had severe blood infection, they wanted to admit me. Um, I thought that I'm out there selling drugs and doing drugs was more important than that. Uh, so I told them that I, I couldn't. They said they wanted to admit me for a couple of days. And if they didn't give me these antibiotics intravenously, that the likelihood of that blood infection taking my life was very high. And even at that point, I still my best thinking um, was trying to um, negotiate with them and compromise and said, look, OK, I'll stay for a few hours. And that's what I ultimately that was my decision that I would stay for a few hours to get some um, antibiotics intravenous, intravenously. And, um, and that pro I remember them, um, hooking me up to some, to some antibiotics intravenously. And, um, I remember drifting off to sleep and the next thing I know, I woke up and what I'm being told by my sister is that, um, I was in a coma that I had been in a coma for the last 21 days, um, with congestive heart failure. Um, severe ammonia. Um, I had liquid in my, I had like a liter and a half of liquid in my left lung. Um, and then my heart function was down to, I think I, if I remember correctly, I think it was 25 or 23%. Um, and I drifted out in out of consciousness. Um, I ended up leaving, um, discreetly, so to say, like, uh, without doctors, without being discharged and without the doctors, uh, recommendation going against every recommendation the doctor told me. Um, and I left, um, and I continued to use a couple days later as I got home, 
I continue to use. Um, and throughout the next, you know, year and a half, um, about 18 months, not even two years, um, I continue to use doing the same thing and fighting my health every single day. Um, I remember being in and out of the hospital um, out of desperation going there, not because I really cared about my health, uh, but because I had um, retained so much water that I would be, I became morbidly obese. I was nearly 500 pounds, you know, over 150 pounds of water weight. Um, I was dying. I was uh, slowly committing suicide um, in reality. And I'd go there in desperation just so hopefully they can like uh, do something to drain off some of that liquid so that I could get around better. So that way I can continue going places and doing it is what I want to do in my active addiction. Um, I remember having, you know, hundreds of hospitals, hospital visits and probably 50 some admits, you know, within the less, less than a year period um, due to my congestive heart failure. Um, that led me again. I go into the hospital in desperation and I wake up again um, by my sister um, faithfully next to me because she's the one that's stuck by my side through all this, um, um, telling me that I, once again, ironically enough, that I had woke, woken up again from another medically drug-induced coma for ironically another 21 days. Um, you know, I know I made this other video and it's, it's the only words that come to mind is like, I would like to say that that's when, uh, you know, I pulled my head out of my rear end and decided to make some significant changes in my life that would, uh, you know, alter my path. And um, it wasn't. It just, um, and, and thinking of those times, this reminds me um, of to the lows and the bottoms that addiction can take a person um, to when a person's life has no value, um, that doing the next right thing is um, unheard of. Um, so uh, a couple of days after being out of the hospital, once again, I'm back into my active addiction, fully going. Um, I like to think that a power greater than myself, um, my higher power, um, sent a blessing in disguise. And that blessing, I, I was afforded the opportunity to go to prison for a, a short period of time for some charges that I had for my past mistakes. Um, going into prison... Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't uh, speak this to my sister um, or anybody else for that matter. But in my heart, I knew that I was going into prison, that I was going to die in prison. Um, I was 495 pounds in a wheelchair on oxygen. And my heart, my heart function was down to 11%. Um, how, and how old were you? Um, at the age of, let me see, at 34. Wow. At 34. Yeah, I'm 36 now. So, um so my heart's down to 11%. You know, I, I'm in contact only in desperation because I can't leave my sister's house. I'm in a hospital bed in her living room for the, for three months before I go to prison. Um, and honestly, not by choice, um, not by choice at all. If I had the ability to get up and move around, um, and walk on my own to get places, I would have not have been at my sister's. Um, uh, Again, I like to think my higher power uh, immobilized me, <laughs> made it uh, crippled me, so to say, if that's what needed to be done uh, for the months going into prison. And even then, I still couldn't. Um, I wasn't following every doctor's order. I was wasn't using. I had been clean for a couple months before going to prison, um, uh, but I still, I still wasn't like I could only take a certain amount of water in each day because I was retaining all the water, and I couldn't even abide by that. I could not. I just, I just, I couldn't even, everything that I would, I was doing, it was compulsively, um, and obsessive. Um, even when it came to something as simple as drinking water when I wasn't supposed to. Um, so I went to prison, um, the, the prison, uh, my doctor really thought that I probably wouldn't make it in prison either because the reality is that you get the, um, the correct medical attention and the much needed credit, uh, medical attention that I would need in my situation in a prison, in an institution, um, was highly unlikely, um, or that it was going to be adequate enough, you know, sufficient enough to, to address, you know, my, my, my medical issues. Um, so I went in there with no faith, um, not one bit of faith. And, uh, they started taking me to my cardiologist appointments in, in downtown Spokane. Um, I was in rough shape, real rough shape. Um, but I, I, in prison, you know, I, I remember, I remember praying to my higher power and thinking that, you know, Hey, maybe I can make it through this. I started losing a few pounds. Um, 
I think I, I mean, a few, it just seems like a little because how much water weight I had on me, I dropped maybe 30, 35 pounds. I could walk with a walker and maybe a cane uh, with somebody walking on the side of me. Sometimes um, the oxygen wasn't so demanding when I slept. Um, so this, that, that little tiny bit of hope, that little bit of faith, I ran with it. And I started trying to work on that relationship, with my higher power, uh, praying, picking up uh, self-help books, you know, um, recovery books, being around um, like-minded people. Um, I, in a prison, you sometimes you have uh, limited ability to what kind of people that you're around. I opted out going into um, a therapeutic program at, where it's a therapeutic community where everybody not necessarily is there by choice, but uh, the whole theme of the um, uh, the whole uh, feeling of the um, community is recovery based, you know, um, required classes and such. So that gave me a little bit of structure on a day to day basis that get that got me. Uh, my face in front of some books that were talking about things that in my innermost heart I was thinking of, but wasn't really sure if I wanted to really try to live a new life. Um, by the end of my prison sentence, um, and it was only 10 months or 11 months that I was there, the last few months I remember thinking to myself that I was willing, that I came to the point where I could walk around with no walker, no cane, no no assistance. Um, I was still gaining muscle, uh, my muscle back because I had lost so much in my active addiction and my times being in a coma. Um, I started working on trying to um, becoming willing. Um, so I remember telling myself for a few months before getting out that I was willing to do whatever it takes to recover. I didn't really know at that point uh, what that consisted of. Um, I just, I figured if I kept telling myself and that I spoke it into existence, that maybe it would just be that, you know, and I did. And I, I kept on telling myself that I would do anything uh, when I got out, I got released to Moses Lake to uh, my sister's house. And um, I knew of a program that uh, I'd heard saved lives and, and found and gave people a new way to live before. Um, so I went into those rooms, that 12 step program, and I started being involved with it. Um, I put myself in the middle of the circle. I started doing things that everybody else was doing because I knew the choices that I would make in my past were just going to lead me back to the same old roads. And I didn't want to do that no more. Um, I became a part of um I follow suggestions, you know, um, and I continue to do the next right thing. Um, and if I didn't know what the next right thing is, I just continued moving forward and stayed clean a day at a time. Um, you know, uh, and my higher power continued to work in my life. He kept on um, putting people and places and things and opportunities in front of me um, to guide me, um, especially uh, there's there's a few that really, really stick out to me. And one of them is actually Victor. Um, Victor was this guy I kept on seeing in social media and he was just out there. He was, um, uh, popular, so to say in a humble way. Um, very, very humble man. And, um, and he kind of looked like me, big Mexican dude, you know, has a past <laughs> like me, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, cause I mean, I, I want to go where I feel comfortable. Right. And, um, and when I want to seek out the people that make me feel comfortable and just by his presence, I felt comfortable with that. And, um, so I started talking to him on Facebook. I started reaching out. I started going to Wenatchee. And then I had an old friend of mine that I, you know, I grew up with, um, Joey. Um, ironically enough, it's it's funny how you have us three on here uh, because those two men are the most fundamental part people in my recovery that um, outside the rooms of the program that I work, um, they gave me, um, they led a path and they, uh, they showed the light um, into open-mindedness and to a different level. Um, they showed me that it was okay to not be anonymous outside of the rooms, that it was okay uh, to uh, share my experience, strength, and hope in my recovery story uh, publicly and without disgrace and without without uh, any shame or guilt behind it uh, for a purpose in hopes that it reaches that one person. That's either – and not necessarily just the person you know struggling with um, substance use disorders – mental health disorders, um, people of, you know, mothers and fathers, sorry, I got flies plugging around, um, mothers and fathers, um, of kids or, or loved ones that are suffering from, um, addiction as well, you know? Um, and throughout the years, I remember throughout these years, I've been, I remember hearing Victor talk about that. He has so many different people of all walks of life that reach out to him because they've heard his story. And now I'm in that same position. Uh, I get messages and calls from people on a daily basis, um, seeking guidance, asking for help because 
um, ultimately because I've decided to go public with my story that I've been able to go um, be vulnerable about it and just let it out there and let it, let it be a, a beacon of light, so to say, or a testimony of faith, whatever, however you want to look at it, you know? Um, and I, and I, and I owe, I owe my life that I have today for people like Victor and the people that came before me for the program that I work uh, for the 12 steps uh, in that program. It gave me an opportunity to look at myself, what part I played, um, be able to address it, um, face it, you know, face to face instead of like burying it anymore, face it and then leave it behind me where it's meant to be. Um, you know, uh, well, that's it. Yeah, well, that is a powerful story, and thank you so much for sharing. So, Victor's part of your recovery family, is that correct? Absolutely. So, tell yeah. us what's that mean? What does that mean to you guys? And what does your recovery family mean to you guys? Um, for to me, for me to, go ahead. No. Go ahead, Victor. <laughs> no, you first. <laughs> All right. For for me, um, either without any reasons why. Um, whether my fault or just the way things happen as I don't have um, blood family that is really close to me. Um, I don't have a lot of blood family that were so uh, um, so close together and ingrained together. And that's just unfortunate as, as it is. Um, but putting myself out there in the program, uh, making myself available, um, being accountable and being present and the lives of the people's family that I call family now around me today. Um, um, I came into the rooms and I thought I would make new friends because people said, you don't want to make new, new friends, places and things, you know, and I end up, I end up acquiring a family and that family to me is just as important as my own blood family. And I would do just for them in the same amount. Victor, what do you think of your recovery family? What, what are your thoughts about that? I, I think that if I didn't have a recovery family that I wouldn't have any recovery, you know, um, I mean, my, I have a big family, but most of my family is like in California, you know? And so when I, when I got this family that's in recovery, like I have people that, that that'll call me on my crap, that'll hold me accountable, you know, that'll love me, you know, when I like, especially when I didn't know how to love myself, you know, it, it, it's given me hope, you know, it's like I shared earlier about, you know, the unity aspect of, of the program I work, you know, to me, it's like, I know that if I, if I call on Noki and, and just tell him what my troubles are, that he'll give me the feedback that I need to hear. Not that, not the feedback that I want to hear. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of trust that you get with people in recovery. You know, I'm not going to say that everybody in recovery is, is like my family, but the ones that, the, the, the ones that are there are the ones that are important to me and I value their opinions. And you guys are constantly trying to build that family too, right? Oh yeah. Like, like no, so like Noki has, has told me like, Oh, at first, you know, yeah, I seen you on there and I was like, who is this dude? You know? And, and there's a <laughs> lot of people that, you know, when I, when I met them, I, I didn't like them. I didn't like what they had to say. I didn't like their recovery, but eventually like, I've, I've known that about my, myself my whole life is the people that I thought I could trust were the ones that ended up doing me wrong. And the ones that I didn't like in the beginning are the ones that I end up loving the most. So both you guys are recovery coaches. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. So what does it take to become a recovery coach? 40 hours of training. <laughs> and, and do to become a recovery coach, do you have to be in recovery yourself? Uh, no, but it, it, for me personally, I believe that like a recovery coach is somebody that, that helps a person with through lived experience, you know, um, just like they have like peer peer to peer positions in the state of Washington that it's, it's pretty much off of, of lived experience. I know for me personally, that if I went I'll just, I'll use this for an example. You know, I went to a treatment center one time and me and the, the counselor that was doing my intake, we were talking and, and she's telling me, Oh, you know, you have a severe drug problem. And I'm like, okay, you know, are you an addict? And she told me, no. I said, what are you going to do after work tonight? And she's like, well, I'm probably going to go home and have a glass of wine. I said, so then you probably couldn't relate with me. And I don't understand how you can diagnose me just because you, you know, you went to school and you read some books. Like for me personally, I believe that 
I can relate to somebody that's an addict. I can share my experience, strength, and hope with an addict, you know. And for me, it's I think being a recovery coach, anybody can do it as long as your heart's in the right place. Right. So, Janet, what kind of questions do you have for Noki and Victor? Well, both of you brought up something that spoke very loudly to me about, you know, a lot of times when people are faced with um, an addiction, there's a lot of shame. And I think our culture does it as well as ourselves. And so um, I'm assuming that those uh, connections that you're making with somebody that keeps you accountable helps to dispel the shame so you can be upfront and honest with yourself. Is that what I'm hearing from both of you? Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I personally, you know, I know that there's a lot of stigmas and labels that come with, with addiction. You know, um, one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I became so boisterous about my recovery is because a lot of people look at me, you know, and, and what they see on the outside, you know, is, is like, I got, I got tattoos, you know, and I'm, I got a bald head. I, I got a white t-shirt. I look like somebody that the news would describe as, as a, as a hoodlum or a gang member, you know? So there's a lot of stigmas just behind the lifestyle that I used to live. And, and when people get into recovery, there's a lot of, a lot of shame, you know, and, and I know that me personally, and, and I know Noki does it too, is we try to break down them walls and barriers so people don't have to just be like, oh, well, look at Victor. He, 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 he looks like a, like a gang member. You know, um, but when they really get to know who I am and, and what I'm about and what I represent, their 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 view of me is totally like, wow, this dude has a heart. He loves people. You know, so there is a lot of stigmas that come with recovery, with addiction, you know, and, and, and we're trying to break down those break down those walls. Well, I think you guys are doing a wonderful job. So um, we're going to wind the show up here shortly, and I would like uh, Noki to start. You've got one minute to – if you had to sum, sum this podcast up in one minute with your story, what is the point you were trying to get across? Go ahead, Noki. Um, I would say that anybody, like anybody out there struggling with addiction or um, – has had a, uh, you know, been influenced by addiction or affected by it in any way um, that the only way that you're going to get better, the only way that things are going to get changed to change or, or anything of that sort is for a person to reach out. Like you got to put in the work. That's, that's just a reality. And in, and the reality is that when my, in my choices that I've made is that I realized that I cannot do it by myself. Um, but there's a community of people out there that are willing to help me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. How about you, Victor? You know, I, I, I just want, you know, first of all, thank you guys for, for inviting us to do this, you know, and, and I think this platform is awesome, you know, because we do stuff like this on, on Facebook as well. You know, um, we used to have a bunch of live groups, you know, one thing that I know is that if you don't, if you don't seek help, like Nogi said, like you're not going to get the help that you need. You know, um, just know that there's other people out there that are struggling. You know, um, I've had multiple families reach out to me. I had a, I had a state legislator re reach out to me yesterday and ask me to, you know, introduce myself to somebody on social media so they can get to know what recovery is. And, and I'm a firm believer in that recovery is possible for anybody, you know, and, and I'm grateful for you guys getting this out there, you know, and, and, and like Sean was saying earlier, like if this helps save one person's life, that's all that matters. And that's how I look at, at recovery is like if, if what we're doing can help save one person's life or help one family member get some ease, you know, that, that, that was the best part of my day. Well, it's truly our honor and our pleasure to have you guys on. We really um, appreciate you guys sharing your stories and going public with it. And at Health Solutions, um, you know, we talk about everything healthcare. And, and you guys, this is definitely a story about healthcare. I mean, um, your story, Noki, about, you know, 50 hospital visits in a year. And, I mean, CHF when you're in 31 years old. I mean, just it, it's amazing. And I'm assuming, I was going to ask you this. So how is your heart, your um, CHF and your lungs and stuff like that now, Noki? Um, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, my, my cardiologist had told me actually that it was going to take, you know, several years, six to seven years and uh, full medication, staying off drugs, not smoking for my heart to potentially fight back to get like a 30%. 
And uh, within eight months of my release from prison, my heart was back at a 40%. And I'm, my health is fantastic. Awesome. And just to let you know, I imagine that is ejection fraction of 40%, which if yes. that is the case, then that means your heart is, is considered normal because none of exactly. our hearts eject 100%. So if you're at 40%, right. man, yeah. hey, dude, you are back to a, basically 100%. I love it. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. It, just, it just shows you how – you, you know, your lifestyle choices can, you know, I mean, you saved your life. I mean, those, those that you literally saved your own life by doing that. So that's awesome. I love it. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for being on. Um, tune in our listeners and viewers tune in uh, Thursday. We will have Dr. Lee gross and he'll be talking about his most recent trip to the white house. He was invited to the white house to talk about the most uh, he was one of 20 physicians in the nation to talk about the new health care plan that President Trump is unveiling. So you don't want to miss that. He is a very busy guy, and I'm super excited that he is going to take the time to explain explain that to us. So you don't want to miss that. It'll be streaming live 8 to 9 p.m., actually 8 to 8.30. He's only got about a half hour that we're, he's going to give us, which I, I appreciate any time he can give us. You will see it live, streaming live right here on my personal Facebook page, the Moses Lake Professional pharmacies youtube site and as always you can catch that later when you have the edited version as this one will be edited in a couple days and it'll be up on the Moses Lake professional pharmacy youtube site subscribe to our youtube site so you don't miss these and um, follow me on facebook i'm out of friends i've got almost five thousand friends so i can't get any more friends but you can definitely follow me on facebook i'd appreciate it and all the podcast forums so itunes soundcloud um, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all those. You can listen to us there too. So thanks again, Noki and Victor, for being on today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Mm -hmm.